We're going to turn in God's Word now. We're going to read from Psalm 133, which is just three verses long, and it's probably one of my one of my favourite psalms. It really is beautiful, and I pray that by the end of it, you realise the beauty within it, and that you learn to love it as well. And if you've been here over the last, well, really since the start of the the year, we've been focusing on. Um, the Holy Spirit and, and who He is. And uh, as we do that, and as we, we journey through um, discovering who the Holy Spirit is and, uh, and who He is meant to be in this place and all that He has for us, um, there are probably going to be foundational blocks that we lay um, along the, the way. And one that we'll probably look at over the next few weeks is around the, the theme of uh, unity within uh, God's people. Uh, And we're going to read this morning from this uh, precious psalm, which is all about uh, unity within uh, God's people. So let's read from God's Word. It should be on page about 519 of your pew Bible, um, or it'll be on the screens uh, before you as well. And as ever, I always encourage you to open up God's Word to have it as we journey through uh, our sermon uh, together. Let's read God's Word this morning. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. Amen. As we continue, like I said, we're going to be laying foundational blocks, and this morning we're going to think um, this, this week, and probably over the next couple of weeks, around the, the, the theme and around the topic of, of unity uh, within uh, God's people, within um, the church. We spoke a few weeks ago about another block that we wanted to see um, put down uh, for us to, be, to continue to develop as a church, which was um, around the, the, the danger of, of pride and how we as God's people, that we, we can't have pride because God has done it all for us. It is by grace. It's not through anything about me or anything that I have achieved. And there is no room for arrogance or pride in our lives because it is solely by the grace of God that we have been saved. Jesus has done it all. That is the hope and message of the gospel. And today and over the next few weeks, I want to look at another block which um, I think is absolutely crucial to us as a church, but especially as we um, begin to look at who the Holy Spirit is, and, and we're going to end up looking at the gifts that He gives. And you can see then when we start to look at gifts that people might have, why talking about the danger of pride and the importance of unity is a really important foundation to have before we engage with that. I was going to preach from Ephesians 4 this morning. We'll probably um, either do that next week or the week after, which is all about kind of unity in the Spirit and unity in Christ. But as I began to prepare, I thought, actually, I think we should be even take a step um, 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 even more backwards and look further away from, from that and begin to look um, really just around this topic of unity before we start even speaking about the Holy Spirit and gifts and all those things, that actually let's just look at unity within the church and the importance of it uh, that we learn from this psalm. And as we do that, I, I hope that actually that 
the, the, the sermons and the, the passage that we looked at from um, Galatians around the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, and we saw the works of the flesh, that actually some of the works of the flesh that we see in Galatians were things like rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. So those things actually go against, those are fleshly things, things that come from um, a, a, a fallen place. And actually, the kingdom then, if it isn't those things, the kingdom is about unity. The kingdom is about unity. There should be no place for division, dissensions, and rivalries in the church. Those things are not part of the kingdom of God. And because of that, they shouldn't be seen in Sandy Hills Parish Church then. In Genesis 1 and 2, where we see the world being created, we see in chapter 2 that God said this, It is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. And as you read through the creation narrative in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, this is actually, that, that statement that God makes in chapter 2, it is not good for man to be alone. It is one of the first negative assessments that we see in the Bible. It is one of the first negative assessments that we see in the creation narrative. It is the only negative assessment we see in chapters 1 and chapters 2 of Genesis. God has been saying it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. Everything he created was good. He declared it is good. And then he says, when he sees man, it is not good for man to be alone. And in all creation, a, he a suitable helper could not be found for Adam. So God puts Adam into a deep sleep and takes a rib from Adam and creates a woman who is the perfect partner for Adam. And yes, from this we see marriage and we have all these beautiful um, uh, truths that we see flow from that. But one of the truths that we see in that is the creation of what? The creation of community. The creation of godly community. It is not good for man to be alone. And he creates mankind male and female, and he says, it is very good. Everything else has been good up until this point, but when man and woman has been made, it is very good. God declares over mankind, the apex of his creation was humanity. And Adam says, this is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone, when he, says, when he sees Eve. And he couldn't say that about any of the other uh, creation narrative. None of the other animals or anything around him in the creation order could he say that about. But Eve, he could. And what we see here is the, the first creation of godly community. And we see this mirror the heart of the Trinity where God says in Genesis, let us make man, let us make man in our image. And what we see within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is the perfect godly community. So unity is at the heart of community, which points to a togetherness and a connectedness that we're meant to have with one and other. 
And that was God's design. But we see and we know that the boys and girls spoke about this morning that sin comes in and it alienates and it drives a wedge between, yes, us and God, but then between us. We then see the first fallout and the first murder and all these things. And what happens is that division comes in. Separation comes in. I wonder if you would agree with me that we are seeing an unprecedented sense of division within community at the moment, within the world, within even our own country. There is such division. I wonder, has there ever been such division in society? We've always had things that's separated people. But everywhere you look, there is such polarization, such separation. I was thinking about that just even this week as when you look even at a government, you look at government. When was the last time you saw two parties agree on anything? All I know is what they don't like and who they're against. I don't even know what parties stand for anymore. It's mud-throwing. This is why you shouldn't vote for them. They're terrible. Division. And it's everywhere. It's all throughout culture and our world. And even on the things that we used to always agree on, and things that, you know, even 20, 30 years ago that you wouldn't even think were anything that would cause any division anymore, even around the, the, the thing of gender. We can't even agree on how many genders there are anymore. Everywhere we look, there is such division. Everywhere. Has there ever been, though, a better chance to stand and reflect as the church the face of God? In a world that is so divided, that is so hate-filled and hate-fueled, and as disappointing as that is, as the church we have an opportunity to show unity and love. It is a call on God's people to be different. It is the call through the whole of Scripture to be separate, to be holy, to be set apart. To look different and sound different. To die to self and to live for God. We, we cannot do unity though if we're still living for self. And what we have, friends, in Sandy Hills is an amazing opportunity to show hope, to show love, to show family, to show unity in a broken world. It's one of the things I love about the, is it the olive tree or the olive branch cafe on Buchanan Street. An amazing little cafe. If you've not been, go along. It's found in SGT, St. George's Tron Church of Scotland. And I know the, the, the minister there. And, and when, when, they, when they were setting that cafe up, they, they, they looked around them and said, what will make us stand out? In, in, in a place that is so profit-driven, what do they do? They went the complete opposite way. And it is an amazing little cafe. 
And it's doing really well. But they took an opportunity, surrounded by all these big companies and corporate corporations and um, profit-driven shops. What they saw was an opportunity to stand out and look different and to show the gospel. And we all know church, and we've all been in churches, and, and maybe if we're honest, maybe that this, this thing could maybe even have been said about us, and, but I pray it's, it's not though. But we know that often churches are known as a place that are full of cliques, full of groups, where people just argue amongst themselves. Friends, we have to do better. We have to look different. And however justifiable we might think our ill grievances are with others, friends, if we're in Christ this morning, they do not stand before Scripture. And you know what we need to be better at as church? In fact, there's, this kind of breaks down into two things. And we need to grasp this for unity to really, really take place here. We need to get better at forgiveness and we need to be better, be, be better at being forgiven. Man, Christians can harbor grudges. And if we're honest, sometimes we really suck at forgiving people. And all that shows, though, is, is immaturity in faith. And it leads to Division leads to sides, leads to us and them, and it leads to and limits a lack in church growth. Because unforgiveness is a way for the works of the flesh to blossom in this place. I've never met a child that harbors such grudges that I have with Malachi. Honestly, he is unbelievable. We were swimming about a year and a half ago um, through in Hamilton. I can't remember the place. It's got that wee ship thing that they can play on. And while there, this wee boy uh, just blew a raspberry at Malachi. That's all he did. Malachi, for about six months, went on about this. Remember that boy? Yeah, I remember. I remember. Yeah, he's bad. Yeah, I'm sure he yeah, it was bad. During the, the, the February break there, we were driving through to Hamilton to drop Joel off at his football. I'm it was a year and a half ago that was blown. <laughs> Malachi, Daddy, remember that boy? <laughs> I wonder who has done to you. Maybe we need to let it go. Maybe we need to forgive. For if unity is something we want to strive for, Forgiveness is something we need to practice. The psalmist in verse 1 of Psalm 133 begins this by saying this, How good, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers, when brethren, when brothers and sisters, when God's people dwell in unity. How good and pleasant it is. Now, what does that unity look like? Well, we're going to go on to that in, uh, as the weeks go on. It looks like theologically, spiritual hunger, heart posture, relationally. These are just to name but a few. When we gather in this place with one heart, with one vision, with one hope, to lift the name of Jesus high, how good and pleasant that is. 
As a church, we want to sing from the, the same hymn sheet. And we've talked about this with the, the pride thing. There's no place for ego here. There's no place for selfish ambition. We solely gather to lift and glorify Jesus. That is our heart. So the first thing we notice is that unity is the state in which God's people should be in. It is good and it is pleasant when God's family dwell in unity. Why are weddings so special? Why are weddings such an amazing place to go to? Yes, it's one of those lovely senses of joy and all that, but it's so different from other gatherings and other moments in life. And part of that, I really think, is, is we all, we're all there for, for one reason, to celebrate the husband and the wife. We, we've gathered with, with one expectation, with one hope, with one vision. We're united there to celebrate this couple who are getting married. There is unity, there's togetherness. That's why people gather at a wedding to see and celebrate the, the marriage between the bride and the groom. So too it should be with church. We, we come here to lift and to worship solely Jesus and Him alone. He is our purpose. He is our reason for existence. This church, this fellowship, this community is here to glorify Him. And that is really important as we continue to explore who the Holy Spirit is and, and what He wants to do in this place. That we gather to lift high the name of Jesus. And about this unity, the psalmist says, it is good and it is pleasant. Another way of thinking about um, that it is good is that what ought to be. That kind of godly state, it is good. It is what ought to be. It is an expectation that the kingdom of God has upon us. It is good. But then he says also it is pleasant. Another way to think about that is, is it's something that we want. So we have here this kind of dual thing going on, this expectation that God has, but also then this experience that we can enjoy together as God's people. It is good and it is pleasant. It is what God expects. Yes, it is good. But also, and actually, it's a really positive experience. It is really pleasant to be somewhere where there is unity. It is a nice thing to experience. It is a positiveness about gathering somewhere where there is unity. We've all been somewhere where you can cut the, the tension in a room with a knife and how uncomfortable it makes us feel. That is not pleasant. Well, the unity that the psalmist is speaking about, it is the opposite of that. It's Oh man, this is nice. There's something different here. It's actually a really enjoyable place. I don't really understand what they do. I don't really understand what that guy goes on about for half an hour on a Sunday morning. But there is something nice about being in this place. It's pleasant. I know that when someone who started coming here, the, the, the first thing they really said to me that they noticed wasn't about the preaching or about the singing or the version of the Bible we read from. What they, they told us was the first thing they noticed was that people were smiling in this place. What a wonderful thing to hear. It is pleasant. There is a pleasantness about gathering somewhere where there is unity. 
the unity in here was a pleasant thing that actually encouraged that individual to come back. So not only is unity good and a direction from God that has moral purposes and kingdom values, it is pleasant because it is something that actually, as we gather here, it actually, it's nice. Unity is nice. Unity is our duty, but if it was a duty on its own, it can feel burdensome. But actually, unity is pleasant. It has real positive and practical implications for each of us as we gather here. We want to be united in Jesus, serving him and him alone. And when we strive together with that one vision, it is really good. It is good, it is godly, but it is pleasant. It is pleasant. It's enjoyable. It is something beautiful about it that actually that we benefit from. Then the psalmist, he goes on and he uses um, two analogies to develop this theme of unity. It is good, it is pleasant when God's family dwell in unity. And then he says in verse 2, it is like, so that he, he's still speaking about the unity here, it is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes the first thing he likens this unity to is oil precious oil and this word precious is actually the same word that we have for good in the first verse it is the same word there but the so the focus here is is oil when unity is happening it is like oil being poured out why oil? Well, we could say, and it would probably fit where we're going, that oil was symbolic of the anointing of the, the, the Holy Spirit. Um, but actually, does he tell us anything else about this precious oil that he mentions in verse 2? Well, he, he goes on and he speaks about this guy, Aaron. He says it's running down on Aaron. So who is this guy? Who is he? It's a really good thing when you're reading the Bible. If you don't know, you know what's been said here, go, go and read elsewhere because it's most likely speaking about someone who's already been mentioned in the Bible. Aaron was Moses' brother, and he was a high, a high priest. Ah, okay, so this is priestly oil. This is important oil that the psalmist is speaking about here. There's something holy going on here. There's something sacred. And then we read in Exodus chapter 30, we can read all about um, the oil uh, that, that, that be, would be used when anointing uh, a priest. And we read in those verses in Exodus chapter 30, we read about these verses and the, the careful and precise nature of how that oil would have been made, the, the anointing oil. And it talks about how sweet and, uh, and how um, beautiful the aroma would be of the oil that would be used to anoint the high priest. So this precious oil was sacred and it was fragrant. There is a, a, a sweetness. It, it, it is pleasant. There is something um, beautiful as, we, as it's poured out. Yes, there's something important happening. But actually, there's a real kind of lovely fragrance that arises from it. And again, we can see this good and pleasant thing. It is good, but it also has a positive experience on those who are witnessing it too. But we also see the excessiveness of the oil. Because it's not just a little drop that's used. This oil actually runs down his head, down his beard, down his collar, down his robe. There is a lot of it poured out. 
I have uh, had some wonderful experiences as, uh, as a minister, and some places and some experiences, um, I will, can't share them all at once because you would think I'm mental, but one of the ones that, that, that happened to me, I was at this, I'd been asked to go along and to um, and share and to, to preach to um, the, this, this, this group. They were um, leading a conference, and before they, they ever led a conference, they always wanted uh, the, those that were involved in the teaching and the preaching and, and running the conference to actually be fed themselves. So I was invited to kind of um, spend some time with them and encourage them before they embarked uh, in what they were about to do. And as part of that, uh, they, they wanted to kind of to honor me, which was lovely, and they asked if they could pray for me. And I said, absolutely. So uh, they prayed for me, and they asked if I was okay with kneeling down, and they wanted to gather around and, and lay their hands uh, on me as we see within the, the, the scriptures. And yeah, that's fine. So they started praying, and it was, it was lovely. It was really beautiful. It was encouraging. It was uplifting. It was humbling. Uh, and then one of the guys asked, has anyone got uh, a, a little bit of oil we'd love to um, anoint? Uh, so someone said, yeah, I've just got this, this little vial. I'm just back from Israel, um, so you can use that. So that's fine. I'm none the wiser. I'm still, still praying. Uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, the guy poured the whole thing out of my head a whole vial of oil, and oh my goodness, if you've ever touched oil, even a little bit, it can make a difference. I, I thought there was some weird experience happening to me as this oil ran down my head, into my eyes, down my whole body, and you could see them trying to, I could feel them trying to pull some of the, some of the oil off. There was, there was that much oil all over my head, and I came back to the house later on, and it just looked like I just ran two marathons. That's, my hair was all over the place, and Becca was like, what in the world has just happened? I said, you will never, it doesn't matter, you'll never understand. So when I read this, there's an excessiveness about the oil that's been poured out. It's not just a little drop, but it's, it's flowing down the whole of him. This good and pleasant unity is like excessive sacred, fragrant oil. And we should be impacted by the excess of unity in this place. Not just a little bit. It should be everywhere in all that we do. And it should benefit those who encounter it. And then his second analogy he uses, and I really do love this, and it's really beautiful. It's like the Jew of Hermon, he says in verse 3, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This good, this godly unity, this pleasant, this beneficial to those who are around it, unity. It's like fragrant, sacred oil, not just a little bit. It's poured out, it's excessive, it's everywhere. And he says it's like the Jew of Hermon. Which, flow, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Mount Hermon is uh, a real place, and um, you can Google it later on. It's actually really impressive to see it. It's 9,232 feet high. Just to give you a bit of reference, Ben Nevis is uh, 4,400, so it's double the size of, of Ben Nevis. It is, it's, a big, it's a big mountain. Uh, and then uh, Mount Zion, when it talks about the mountains of Zion, that's another place. And actually, uh, 
Mount Zion is the, the, the highest point in Jerusalem, and it stands at 2,500 feet tall. So it's quite a bit smaller than Mount Hermon. And actually, there's about 120 miles um, between the two. Mount Hermon's in the north. Um, it's kind of uh, just kind of on the, on the edge of Israel and Lebanon and, and Syria. And 120 miles to the south of Mount Hermon, you have uh, the, the, the mountains of Zion, Mount Zion. It's a 120-mile difference or there or thereabouts. So, there's, again, there's quite, a, there's quite a gap between the two places that the psalmist is referencing here. Hermon, Mount Hermon is the tallest mountain in Israel, and uh, Mount Zion was a really important place in the Old Testament. It was the place in, uh, where the priests, where Aaron included, would speak to God on, on behalf of, of God's people in the tabernacle. So spiritually, it has really important um, connotations. And if you Google Mount Hermon, you would see photos of it covered in snow at the top, which is quite something to think about Israel, that actually the, the Mount Hermon is covered in snow at the top, and most of the water in Israel actually originates in the snow of Mount Hermon. The snow and the dew, the moisture that gathers on Mount Hermon actually brings, it flourishes the rest of Israel, such as the amount of it. And the psalmist, he's not really speaking about it in a scientific way, although there is kind of science behind it. He's using this in a poetic way. And what he's saying is that the, 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 the dew that falls on Mount Hermon, that's what unity is like. It actually, it brings nourishment and gives fertility to the mountains of Zion. That's so where unity falls, it actually brings nourishment and it gives life to the places it flows. Unity, friends, gives life-enhancing blessings. And that's where we're going to end this morning very quickly. Because the psalmist then goes on and says, For there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. There are such blessings. There is the blessing of life that God has commanded to the place where his family dwell in unity. Do we see the importance of what godly unity gives to us as a church? We could say it is like the, 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 the canvas, that unity creates the canvas for God's blessings to fall on. No arrogance, no pride, no divisions, no rivalries, no sides, no I'm this, I'm that, he's this, she's that. But actually, it's all about Jesus. There is such beauty, fragrant a beautiful aroma that arises when God's people dwell in unity that actually looks different to the world. How different does this sound to anything else that the world has to offer? And I promise you, even though people might not understand the whole Jesus stuff, who wouldn't want this? This is attractive. It offers life. Life forevermore. Friends, unity in this place is like the dew of Jesus falling upon us. And as he lands upon us, as he falls in this place, as we create a space for him, what we see with Mount Hermon and down to the mountains of Mount Zion, I think we have a prophetic image of what happens with the church when unity is present and the dew of Jesus, when the aroma of Jesus fills this place. 
that actually the surrounding areas flourish and are blessed by it. For there he commands the blessing life forevermore. And we finish with where we began this morning. What is it we are united by? Or rather, who is it we are to be united in? His name is Jesus. Let us strive for unity in this place. For it really is good. And it really, really is pleasant. Let us pray. Father God, we, we do indeed thank you for your word and we thank you for, uh, we thank you for your son. And Lord, we pray this morning that actually uh, you would increase the unity in this place. Lord, that you would help us to be reminded that we don't gather as individuals, but Lord, you save us into a family, that you save us into a body. You save us to be part of your bride. And may we know, and Lord, may we experience how good and how pleasant it is when your people dwell in unity. Pour your oil out upon us, we pray. Pour your spirit upon us, Lord, with an abundance. May it reach every nook and cranny of this church. And Lord, would the Jew of Hermon, Lord, as we see in it, the, the fertility and the nourishment it brings to the surrounding areas. Lord, with the presence of Jesus bring life to the surrounding areas and to this place, we pray. May you command your blessing to be here. And may we dwell in unity. For we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.